and welcome to another episode of Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we have a friend of the show, one of the most amazing, not just women, but people in all of television, none other than Tamron Hall. How are you today? I'm great. How are you and those beautiful children that you are raising wonderfully? I, well, I hope wonderfully. My goal is to make sure they're not like serial killers, but they're doing fine. They're five years old. I think old. you're doing okay. I can't <laughs> believe it. Moses is four. He'll be five in April. That's what and I, was I see. To say. Oh yeah, no, they look so good. They're in kindergarten or for what? What grade? Pre-K. Is they're in pre-K. pre-K. Okay, so is Moses. He's in pre-K and next year kindergarten. Oosh. And we're doing Spanish immersion, so they they oh. now speak it a little bit of, of broken yeah. Spanish as much as they possibly can. We're doing Paw Patrol immersion, so there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little known class. They're Rocky and Zuma, and yes, <laughs> yes, we know them. We know them all. We know them all. So look, you, you you're a friend of the show, so we won't ask you our typical question that we ask all our guests, which okay. is to walk us through your career arc. Okay. But talk to us about what you've been up to since you were on the show back in October 2021 uh, when we oh. talked about your last book as The Wicked Watch. What have you been up oh. to since then? Oh, a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a splash of chaos that all makes up a wonderful life. Um, we are now in season five of my talk show, um, and uh, I'm very excited about that. Um, you know, I've been working on a lot of different projects, producing some shows uh, that I hope to bring to the television airways. We're just trying to, like you, expand um, what I do um, and not necessarily for the accomplishment of what I do, if that makes sense. I, I, I think we're both at a stage in our careers where we're able to help other folks get in rooms. And I know we say that a lot. But this is the first time in my life that I've been able to do that, right? We always say, I don't want to be the only one in my in the room. And I mean that as a woman, as a Black woman, as a Southerner, honestly, to be quite honest. When I first started at MSNBC, everybody went to the same Northeast schools and were from the same kind of neighborhood in New York. And now here I am in 2024, able to um, bring in voices and people that um, don't always get that opportunity, who should be actually in the room. So that's really it. I mean, you know, just trying to raise a kid and I've just uh, signed up for some kind of parenting class because like you, I'm <laughs> trying to try not try not to raise a character that would end up in a Jordan Manning novel. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the goal. <laughs> that's the goal. That's the goal. And, you know, we just we, you know, just just trying to live a joyful life. I was just at a um funeral service of a beautiful woman who lived to be 86 years old. We were at the first Corinthian Baptist church in Harlem. And they told the story of her moving from a small town in North Carolina, then moving to Raleigh, then, you know, setting up with her sister in Harlem, but just living this really beautiful, joyful life. And it's really put me in a state of mind uh, lately. So I know that was a long answer, but that's some of what I've been up to. You got to live each day to the fullest. And little people running around make you do that. They make you live to the fullest. Uh, They do. You know, it's so funny today, you know, Valentine's Day. This, You know, last night I said to Moses, you know, I got to fill out these Valentine's cars. And this is the first year he kind of gets it, right? My friends are going to give me cars. I'm going to give a car to And it brought me full circle back to my 
own childhood, you know, and back then we had the little universal one and you'd lick with the white little envelope and, yeah, and everybody, everybody got like, the yes, sweet little roll. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, now his school doesn't allow candy. I was like, what kind of sinful plug? I, I, please don't even get me started because we're going to get my kid kicked out of school. I'm like, sounds like Moses needs a lawyer. I'm showing up at Moses. I'm yeah, showing up uh, on Please. <laughs> Do you know I bought a, you know, the, the, the dipping stick, like the, the stick and you yeah. dip it in the powder. I bought, yeah. I was so proud that found this nostalgic candy and he's going to give him out to all his friends and luckily at the last minute Picard, I read the note and it said no candy and I'm like are you kidding me uh, but it brought back all those memories to your point having uh, a child in the house especially at my age of 53 a four-year-old it's just made it help, it's helped me put so many things in perspective that I wasn't expecting yeah I wasn't expecting to say you were 53 either ah. <laughs> You just been drinking your water and minding your business. Uh, <laughs> let, let, before we get to before we get to uh, watch where they hide, which is the reason yeah. you're it's your your new book, your new project. And I know how difficult it is to to write a book, Lord, I do. But yeah, something else that you're five years under your belt with the Tamron yeah. Hall. Show. Um, I mean, just briefly, I mean, what what's the playbook for longevity mm. in terms of the show and the business? Because we've seen a lot of these shows. Yeah. We, with yeah. great folk who we yeah. think oh, yeah. come and go just that quickly. You know, I think it's the same recipe for longevity in anything. You really have to be grounded in who you are um, in a marriage, right? You come in and you're, you're joining forces, but you have to be grounded in who you are, what compromises uh, you bring to the table and what things that you are steadfast in. I know that people like to say that, you know, you're set in your ways, but it's okay to be set in your ways in anything. And so I think having this show after, um, you know, losing the spot at the Today Show, being also of a certain age, it allowed me to have less fear of losing it, right? I've never been afraid of losing this show. I've, I've wanted to make sure it stayed every year and I was going to fight in any way possible to make sure that my team was supported by ABC Disney, that I was supported by ABC Disney, but I was never afraid of losing it because I lost what I thought was my dream job at the Today Show. So I was like, okay, let's go. But I think the longevity, and this of course is not to say that People have not remained authentic when they get these shows. But I, I mean, one day I will write an actual book about just the Hell level yeah. of the, the, the level of noise and the shocking level of misdirection in this field. Meaning, you know, you, you hear people say, well, that's too black or you can't do this or you can't do that. Or, you know, I even had a, a person once say season two, my high heels were too high and it made me uh, seem a little not approachable right and i and i said you then have never ever watched uh, a moment of sex in the city you've never gone to a single church in your life you don't know a woman because how i mean what 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 group of people will say i just can't watch that tamron hall those heels are just too high <laughs> who says that <laughs> an actual executive in a major city in a major, major city. And he was a man on top of that. And I responded in a very um, strong way, to be quite honest with you. And uh, it didn't set well with him. And that was okay, because guess what? We're still on his station and we're doing great in that market. Um, it was just, sometimes people will say things just to say it. 
and they'll test your groundedness, if that's the word. They'll test your fortitude. They'll test if you really think you know where you stand. And I think the show has remained um, true to itself in the storytelling. We just had a young lady from North Carolina on who up and coming fashion designer series that we launched. And, you know, really the whole premise of this series is people who had to pursue other ways of making a living, but design and fashion never left their heart. So we had a young lady who was a nurse uh, from North Carolina by day, saving lives and at night designing clothes, made me a dress in 24 hours that looked better than anything you see on Fashion Week right now. And so we, we tell stories. We tell stories about people. We tell stories um, even when there are celebrities on. Like when you were on with your dad, we tell stories and we talk about the journey. And I think that's what has um, allowed the show to find its voice, find its lane and find this incredible group of people who call themselves the TAM fam. Uh, and, and they've supported the show along the way. I mean, the show has been amazing. And uh, just the the ability for me and my dad to come on and share our story. You you tell stories that otherwise would not get told. So that's why we're happy yeah. that we have season yeah. five and for at least yeah. five more, if not more. So look, let's talk about the reason you're yeah. here. Watch okay. why they watch where they hide. This is after you wrote your last book, which is As the Wicked Watch. And one day we're gonna get that tell all from you and we gotta get all <laughs> we're gonna get everything. Oh. Past relationships, we're gonna get the today well, show. Well you are a lawyer, so I will at least have to have legal counsel. <laughs> oh, legal, legal's gonna have it. You know how legal has to do a review of your book. They're gonna have a field day with that one. They're gonna be like, I can't believe she wrote that. But we're gonna get to that one <laughs> in the future. Let's talk about your new book, Watch Where They Hide. First the title. How did you come up with it? And what picture are you trying to paint with the reader with this title? You know, I, oh, you know, many years ago, I covered a um, case in Dallas, Texas, and it was a fire and there were two people inside at the time who tragically were killed. And I remember interviewing their son and he was outside of the house, Bakari sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And as clear as I can see you right now on this screen, the word murderer I saw it pop on his, I, and I said, oh my God, he, he killed his, wait, wait a minute. And I turned to my cameraman after we interviewed him as he was sobbing saying, oh my gosh, my parents, uh, soon after he was charged with their murder and subsequently convicted. And I remember that day turning to, to, to my camera guy, who's a great friend of mine. And I said, I could see the word murder on it. He's like, are you crazy? What is wrong with you? And I'm like, he's hiding in plain sight. He's right here. You got to watch where they hide. That's crazy. And That's so me. I've had many moments like this. And as the wicked watch, because Jordan Manning, the character, is a reporter. You've heard of these cases where there's a crime and they would say, you know, the serial killer always returns to see. Mm -hmm. And so it's a play on those experiences as a real life crime reporter, but also the fact that a lot of this story happens in the newsroom. It happens behind that TV screen that's in front of you many, many miles away. And the decisions that are made in newsrooms and made by reporters that impact what we see. And sometimes in the case of the, the next installation of the Jordan Manning series, a person sees Jordan Manning on television and sees her as a lifeline, sees her as a person who can bring them an answer. Um, the stage is set. Jordan Manning, the reporter who's inspired by my life, is called by 
the sister of a woman who's gone missing. And she becomes with this woman, almost like vigilantes. They are trying to find out what happened to this missing mother. In the case uh, of this series, this book, um, Bakari was inspired by two cases that I covered by two women who went missing um, when I was a reporter with Deadline Crime. So these are inspired by real things that I've encountered, the stories, but then you bring in this level of fiction, this juicy, my husband laughed at me when I got done with the book and I let him read the last page and he goes, what is happening in your sick mind? Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, that, he, your husband is brilliant and he's creative. And so he kind of got to my next question here, which is talk about your creative process. Cause I read, <laughs> I read this and I was like, I don't know what Tamron doing on the weekend. <laughs> Because this is your second novel, and and how do you I mean? How do you write a novel? Because I've only done nonfiction, and yeah. I've just finished my second nonfiction, which yeah. uh, we, we're talking to the Tamron Hall show yeah. about. But how do you approach yes. how do you approach writing novels, and what goes into it for you? Because you wow. literally have different intuition and almost outer body experiences with yeah. the words you write. I, you know what it is, it, it's as I said, she is inspired by my time as a journalist, but. Some of these experiences are things that I've witnessed others um, uh, encounter. Um, you know, Jordan is in her 30s. She's single. She's trying to decide if this is really the career she wants. That's something that's relatable to everyone. At some point, whatever job you have, you wonder out loud, is this really what I want to do? In the case of Jordan Manning, it's on television. You know, you're on TV. People see this as this glamorous, powerful job. And oftentimes you feel like the most helpless person in the world in right. those newsrooms, that you're not able to say what you really want to say or do what you really want to do. And with Jordan, she's also watching in real time what she believes is a failure of policing and a lack of care in this case about this woman who happens to be white, who happens to be a mom. Jordan is single black woman living in Chicago, but she rallies um, with another person to find ultimate justice or what she sees as justice. And you have this all wound up in this character that I think for many women, they will find her relatable. There's this pull of motherhood, this pull of relationships, but there's also pull of purpose. And what am I supposed to do? And we see her find her way professionally, but also find what she sees as her calling, which is justice and, and how to get justice for this family. What's your creative process look like? I mean, do you spend, cause you're, oh. you're, you're a mom, yeah. your wife, and not to mention you're the Tamron Hall. I mean, like how, <laughs> do, how do you, uh, what, what's your creative? I mean, do you spend time a day? What, cause there are a lot of people yeah. who listen to my show who are like, you know, I want to write a book one day or a novel yeah. one day, have this idea. How do they get yeah. from point to finally having watch where they hide? For, for me, it's about finding what you really want to write about. You know, people approached me about beauty books and memoirs and things that I said, okay, one day I want to perhaps pursue um, something on how to live a joyful life because I do believe I have a joyful life, even on its darkest days. Um, my memoir, which one day I do want to tell, what is it really like to become the first Black woman to host of today's show? And what really, you know, happened um, on that Tuesday, when I decided that my next chapter was something else, I would love to share those things. And, and But I felt like I wasn't ready. And I, that's not where my mind space was. I truly have, as a crime reporter, experienced things that I was able to use Jordan Manning um, as a way to understand and deal with some of those things. 
I remember Bakari, gosh, I was in Chicago. Um, this also happened in Texas. I, I'm at the scene. I was an overnight reporter. I was a new kid. And I, they put you on like the 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. shift, something crazy like that. And nothing good happens after midnight, as your parents have told you and as my parents have told me. The only thing that happens with fires and crime and, you know, it's really rough, even in a city like Dallas, you know, which is not a large city, but big enough. And one day we got a call and this was just before the sun was about to rise. It was almost again, like a movie. And uh, there had been a shooting in South Oak Cliff, which is the South you know, portion of Dallas. And it was in front of a barber shop. We get there and before the police, before the emergency workers, anyway, me and my camera guy show up and there's a body. I'd never seen a body on the ground. And I remember vividly Bakari thinking, wow, blood is much redder than I thought. It's, this is, I was like, I'd never seen a pool of blood. And remember, I went to Temple University. I took law and ethics and journalism, how to write a story. They don't give you how to arrive on a crime scene story classes. And how I to, got how to, to the, practice it. How to right. practice it. They teach you about journalism and the law. They don't teach you how to really practice it. Practice. And so I'm at the scene and the most blood I'd ever seen was maybe when I got my head, when I fell down as a kid and got stitches. So there's blood and there's a human. And I'm, I am just like, wait a minute, what is happening here? And, and we are waiting because this is a part of the, the city that at the time, you know, first response was slow response and the wife arrived and I'll never forget she was in a Lexus sedan the song Unbreak My Heart by Tony Braxton I could hear it and she's pulling up because she's heard there's a shooting she doesn't know that he's the victim and that he's dead on top of that and I am running over to comfort this woman nothing prepared me for that she was sobbing and, you know, the fire, the police finally got there. And I'm thinking, is this what I want to do with my life? And I'm not equipped for this. And so we see through Jordan, some of these real life experiences of a crime reporter, especially in local news yeah. where you are knocking on. I remember sitting in a gang members where this was when the big, big gang crisis, Crips and Bloods had taken over. Uh, Dallas Fort Worth and I'm sitting in a gang member's house there are bullets like all I grew up in a rural area I'm like I'm not I am not about this particular life but I have to now pretend I am get this hardened gang member to talk to me and looking around at bullet holes because there had been a drive by the night before and this is big news in town mm. I wasn't equipped for that kind of life so with Jordan Manning we see what it's like from my perspective and what I've witnessed, um, a life of a crime reporter, but also with her, someone who feels compelled to help solve the crime. So she risks her career, she risks relationships, all to find where this woman is or what happened to her. Jordan Manning is is a superstar who is doing uh the real work, shall we say. <laughs> more than I was willing to do. She's much tougher <laughs> than me, much more bold, bold than me. But I also wanted to be honest with you when I, and I think we talked about this before, when I first sold this book, I was told by publishers that there was not a black female person solving crime written by a black female yep. for readers of all backgrounds that she didn't exist. 
And that inspired me to hurry up and write this second thing. I grew up on Nancy Drew and Agatha Christie and all of these great things, but to sit in the room and hear, wait a minute, this character doesn't exist as written by a black woman, um, solving crime for everyone and is really a hero and a thoughtful person, right? A thoughtful character. And I was like, game on. I, of course, want the book to succeed. I, of course, want the book to, you know, have people read it and enjoy it. But I also want to break this cycle of thrillers and crime stories and this kind of genre Black people don't buy. Eric LaSalle, the great actor, Eric LaSalle, and the great writer, he's written brilliant thrillers. He was told the same thing. He ended up publishing on his own, um, but he was told that, well, Black people don't really read thrillers and they don't really read these juicy crime novels. And I was like, wait a minute. So it's a part of a, a, a small but mighty group of Black authors who write thrillers, who are finding their voice. And I'm happy to be a part of that. How did writing this book change you, if at all? I don't know if it changed me um, as much as it confirmed for me the importance of finding those literal next chapters in your life. I was terrified to write this book. You know, I, I can go on a TV and interview just about anybody, but much like when I became a mom at the age of 48, I don't feel quote unquote old. I don't feel like I'm in the third quarter of whatever people say when you're in your fifties, I feel as, as, as passionate and as, as youthful, I guess, as the kid who went to Temple University um, in 19, whatever, 100 years ago that was. Um, but we all need reminding that there's joy in vulnerability. There's joy in finding new ways to challenge yourself. And I won't ever be an empty nester, probably. My son, I'm 100. There's no chance that I'm going to be an empty nester. It'll probably be with me forever. So I won't know the joys of saying, well, I'm an empty nester now. Let me try to find something new to do. Let me go learn to bowl. I won't have that moment. My, kid, my bird will be in this nest probably forever. But I wanted to um, push myself and challenge myself to do something that I was... Uh, I wasn't quite certain I could pull off. Well, you pulled it off. Tell people where they can buy the book when the book's mm. on sale, all those good things. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm so excited because we now have TamaronHall.tv. Okay. You can go there to TamaronHall.tv and find the book where it's sold. We're also on tour. We've already sold out in Baltimore. I'm going to Philadelphia. I'll be in New York. And we're adding cities. I have uh, one of the dreams when I wrote the first book was to kind of go on tour like you do and meet people and talk to people. But was it the COVID and, and COVID, the pandemic? I was so, we we yeah, had to yeah. do our tour with our pajama pants on. We had yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I don't know if I had on pajama pants, but okay, you're too, you're cooler than me. I was like trying to uh, play it off, but I um, I'm so excited to have people face to face and ask me about Jordan and uh, hear their thoughts, especially on the sick ending that I. Uh, created in the middle of the night. I think I was drinking way too much wine, but it was fun to write. So we'll see. And you mentioned this. Uh, this is my last question for you. It wasn't okay. now, but you've mentioned this a lot today, which is is you just live this joyful existence. Mm -hmm. If someone if someone listening to this show is going through something and and mm. you know they they may feel like they are are not as joyful as they should be, what's some words of wisdom that Tamron Hall can pass along? 
you know, it's the song that I keep in my mind. Uh, and it's uh, something that I use and it's ain't no need to worry what tomorrow's going to bring. It'll be all over in the morning. And I truly believe that um, my minister said something else. Don't tell your, don't believe what you tell yourself about yourself at night. We often get ready to go to bed. You start second guessing your decisions. You start second guessing yourself. You start feeling less than, and oh my gosh, and worrying about bills that, you know, to some point you have no control over, especially if you're working as hard as you can. And, and I'm not saying don't pay your bills, but it, you, you kill yourself from the inside out at night, especially. So those are two things that I, I try not to believe what I tell myself at night when you're feeling way vulnerable and those thoughts start easing in and recognize that it will be over in the morning. Think about how many times you've gone to bed and you have felt awful. You have felt hopeless. You have felt, you know, that just the, the, the anvil of life literally on your head, not hitting your head. And then you wake up in the morning, you're like, okay, well, listen, that wasn't so bad. Or, you know, you just, you, it gives you perspective. And so that's what is, that, that's my practice, is to try to get through that day. And my husband likes to say, don't put a 20 on a 10. And just, just be. I write down words, like simple words, like smile. I'm not as articulate as the great Bukhari seller. So I write down simple things like smile. <laughs> and write if you write down the word smile right now, it's hard not to smile. Correct. Right. He's correct. You got to stop by. Uh, my therapist tells me to stop borrowing problems from the future. And yes. so that's. <laughs> it's true. It's <laughs> true. It's true. Live in the present. So, everybody, I need you to do two things. I need you to go out and I need you to buy Tamron Hall's new book. And then I need to also make sure that you all are tuning in to season five of the Tamron Hall show and also keep my sister in her in your prayers so thank you Tamron Hall for joining the Bukhari oh. podcast I'll tell my wife and kids she said hello alright give my love to them all <laughs>